Hello. Welcome to episode number 76 of the MR Running Pains podcast. Today, my special guest is Hunt Brumby. Um, Hunt, you may have heard his story on the uh, Ultra Jogger podcast. Um, Hunt is one of my athletes and just a solid human being. Um, awesome, awesome person, awesome runner. Really, uh, well, all around awesome. <laughs> I guess that's what we can say. I really enjoyed my conversation with Hunt and hearing his story about the Vol State 500. Um, just, uh, you know, what a, what a triumph, what a human spirit, um, hunt. I really enjoyed our time here and, uh, congratulations once again. And, uh, here's hunt. All right. I'm here with hunt Brumby. How are you, buddy? I'm doing great, man. Aaron, how are you doing? I think we're both in the same boat of uh, recovering from <laughs> rather <Yeah>. large expeditions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are. Congratulations, by the way. That was a wonderful, wonderful accomplishment of yours. Well, obviously, yours was um, magnified to the nth degree by completing the uh, the Vol State, man. And I can't wait to talk about that because, uh, you know, I don't want to spoil things. But when you uh, when you first, you know, said, "Hey, can we do this?" <laughs> I said, well, yeah, I know you can. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, there was that, there was that question mark, like, you know, I, this may be outside of my comfort zone or even yeah, outside yeah. of something I can do, but you know, I, it's, I had faith in you. So I'm so proud of you for doing it. Um, we're, we're, we'll get to all of that. So, but let's start with, uh, with you. Um, where do you come from? Uh, where'd you grow up? All that good stuff. Yeah, man. Uh, so, um, Born in Georgia, but really uh, spent most of my life in Western North Carolina, a small town called Murphy, North Carolina. Uh, yes, sir. A little west of you, so uh, last town in Western North Carolina. Uh, <laughs> grew up kind of small town, playing sports. Um, a football player. It was kind of what you did, Murphy. You either played football or you were really smart, and I'm not really smart, so I played football. Uh, <laughs> Surprisingly, I did grow up in a running family. Uh, my father was a cross-country coach, uh, actually coached a 4 by 800 junior Olympic gold medal team. Wow. Um, ran college cross-country, um, full-ride scholarship. And so even though I wasn't a runner, I was around it. Um, so I, I always kind of had that, that you know, outside view looking in with running um, throughout my childhood. Um, after I graduated high school, I joined the United States Marine Corps. Um, I really wanted to leave Murphy, and I thought that was the best way to see the world. Nice. Ironic, um, I didn't leave the South with the Marine Corps. Um, <laughs> I got in the Marines, and I was a Marine Corps Security Force Marine, and, um, you know, I had special duty. But that was the first time I really kind of started running. Um, it was kind of a forced behavior, but um, I did run in the Marine Corps. Um, we uh, basically did a lot of stuff and timed it to about a 5K distance. Um, I was really big going in the Marines, about 240 pounds, and they got me down to 180. And I just went kind of, um, I was fast for, you know, for a Marine. I was about 18 minute 5K or back then, and that was nice. a long time. But that was <laughs> 1997. But um, I, I, I thought I'd never run again. Um, I hated it because it was, you know, people sitting over my shoulder yelling at me, and I was running away from the yelling. But, um, after the Marine Corps, I, I, I got out and I joined the Army National Guard while I was going to school because I thought, you know, they'll pay for my school. And 
where I never left the South with the Marine Corps, I ended up in Iraq with the National Guard. Oh, wow. Uh, I spent uh, 2002, 2003, I was in the initial pushover, uh, push through. Um, and we, um, you know, we, we, we did our thing, but um, I was hurt in Iraq and I got sent home. And that's kind of where my first part of my journey began. I was kind of lost. When I came home, I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, um, separated from the military, and um, spent a few years of kind of wandering around, wondering what I was going to do. Um, and not just activity-wise, just in life in general. You come home, and and, and the weird thing was that um, Iraq went on for so long in Afghanistan that, you know, I had, you know, a three-year-old who was, or a person who was three years old when I went over, served in the same war as I did. So not only when I was coming home trying to readjust, I was watching it every day on the news. And, um, you know, so I had some years where it was, it was tough. I became a truck driver and I liked it because it was solitude. But also the byproduct of that was I blew up to 330 pounds. Um, just lethargic, lazy, uh, you know, the lifestyle is not conducive with being healthy. Um, I quit that in 2007 at my father's request and uh, came home again. And uh, fast forward a little bit, I started one day I woke up and I said, I'm going to hike the Georgia section of the Appalachian Trail straight through just the Georgia section. And granted, I was 330 pounds, but you have to understand when I looked in the mirror, I still saw a Marine. And um, so I, I set out to do that and I made it one day and it was the worst feeling in the world. I broke down, I cried. Um, it was just, I wasn't who I was. I, you know, athletic growing up, a very uh, accomplished Marine, um, very accomplished at my time in Iraq. And now I couldn't make it, you know, first day I went eight miles and it broke me. Um, but from then I, I, I knew that time off was a big thing. I was working. So I, I just, I just Googled hiking and for some reason trail running popped up. I don't know why, but it did. And there was a race in Helen, Georgia, Helen holiday half marathon. And, um, I said, I'm going to do this. And, Honestly, I went and did that, and I, I was training myself, if you call it that. I was just going out and trying to run, and I was running at 330 pounds. I was hurting my legs, and I never did a run over four miles, and I went and did that on less than one month of training, and that wasn't even a full half. It was supposed to be, but I think it comes in at about 12 miles. It took me four hours and 45 minutes, and I was the last person across the line, and they had already taken down the arch. Oh. It, it never broke me. I always thought, you know, I'm going to go on and do better, bigger, better things. So that's kind of a little bit about my lead up to running. It was well, kind of inspired by the military. And I mean, even though, you know, you said last person across the line, when you first started that story, you smiled. And that was kind of the first time you smiled in that story. Yeah. Uh, what what was in that smile man the last few years of, of you know i've been running two and a half years now uh 
you met me way early on when I limped across one of your finish lines. So I think you were calling back and like, hey, there's a guy out there with half his face tattooed. He may be dead on the trail. Um, I knew where you were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm easily identifiable. The smile is I found my tribe. You know, I think it's important. And I've grown that tribe. When I first started, it was I found trail running and I stayed within that RDs and race directors and that groups of races. But what I quickly found was people weren't going to let me be what I was on my worst day. You know, when I talk about Iraq and the post-traumatic stress and that still pops up, there's bad days. But my, my, my friends within the trail running community and the running community as a whole, they don't let that define me. They know the smile. They know that I'm, I'm, I'm a back of the pack ambassador. That's what I call it. I'm, I'm here <laughs> you across the finish line. And, and I just remember that day as a feeling of accomplishment where I failed on the Appalachian trail. I crossed that finish line and it was one of the first accomplishments I've done since being home from Iraq. I mean, other than like getting married and stuff. <laughs> as far as personal. Right. It was just, there was no medal that I needed. There was nothing I could have, I was easily, you know, I could go through later in life and finish a race and podium. It'll never replace that feeling because I, I fought for it. I struggled for it and I still crossed the finish line no matter how bad I wanted to quit. And, and so obviously you finished that and you, you knew that wasn't it, but what did you think was next or what did you make next? <laughs> Uh, the next thing, my next, very next race was a 50K. Uh, was so 50K. you got to remember, and, and you met me in, I think, Fontanago was March. Yes. So I did that half marathon in December. Okay. In January, I did uh, the Chiha Challenge, which is in Albany. Okay. Uh, it's a very flat 50K. Uh, took me 11 and a half hours. Same thing, across the finish line. Um, and in March, I went from, I, 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 I did Fontanago. Yep. Yep. So and uh, we should probably give folks reference that you came from a completely flat 50 <laughs> K to Fontandango, which uh, in the 50 K is uh, roughly about uh, 6,000 feet of gain um, yeah. with some, some good, you know, rugged trails and <laughs> some good yeah, climbs in there. Yeah. I still hate yeah. you. Um, that was not a good idea and I don't suggest it. Um, <laughs> I, you know, the thing about me is I've got a lot of grit and, and I think that's important for anybody who comes into the ultra world. Uh, there's, I always hear a saying that uh, it stopped being fun. So I stopped. Well, I'm here to tell you it's always going to stop being fun. There's no way you can go out and run even a 5k at a hard pace and it be fun the whole time. The reward is what's fun. So I accepted early on that, there was going to be times it was going to be awful, but I was going to keep moving yeah. um, because I remembered what that finish line felt like at Helen. And I wanted that over and over. It never, never bothered me that I was last. In fact, my first five trail races, I finished dead, dead last. Um, and I was proud of that because statistically that's almost impossible to do without falling out. Without <laughs> I wasn't trying, without trying or falling out of a race. I made all the cuts, but I finished last. And I was very proud of that. Um, but yeah, it was just even fun. I think so. Fontan Dango for the people out there, it took me 15, 
15 hours. I remember you being at the finish line. Uh, I finished ahead of two people that were in the 50 miler. Um, and I was so proud of that. That was, I, I really, Fontandango was when I really kind of felt like I had arrived in trail running. Uh, <laughs> it was, it was a battle and it was a hard course. And then I knew I kind of belonged somewhere within the community. Absolutely. No. And, uh, you know, there was a number of people that were waiting for you um, at the finish. You had already, you know, made enough friends in that short period of time that were waiting for you to finish. I mean, you know, from December till March, you know, they were they were done and, you know, just hanging out at the finish. They're like, Hunt's coming. And I was like, yep, he's coming. <laughs> at some point. He's on a mile eight hill, but he's coming. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, that's the great thing about the community. And believe me, I'm nothing special. It's not that I came in with this magic formula and I made all these friends. It's that anybody can come into running or trail running and you're going to find this support. And these people, I mean, one of the guys was Alex Brown, who was there. Yeah. And I believe Alex finished second that day. And Alex waited for me. Mm-hmm. And Alex made my race his own. You know, I remember the second lap when I finished, I wanted to quit. And Alex sat me down, gave me a beer, and gave me some ramen. And when I stood up, he goes, how you feel? So I feel a little bit better. And he pushed me back out on the course. It's everybody. We in the trail running community, we adopt other people's races as more important than our own because other people's successes is what builds the community. And we're not talking about just numbers or we're not talking about trying to bring Nike or these big sponsors in. What we're talking about is stories like mine. We're talking about trying to bring in people to overcome their personal battles or some people who just need to celebrate a success. We want to see that. And I think to me, that's more important. I wish nobody, I would finish dead last in every race I ever did if it meant nobody fell out of a race. Totally. And I would, I would debate that, you know, you're not special. I mean, to, yeah. to every race director, you know, everyone in that race is special if they're doing what they're doing out of passion and love. And I think everybody that is in that race feels the same way about everybody else, because when they come upon somebody, are you okay? Do you need anything? It is very rare that I ever see or hear somebody, you know, come by or, you know, I, you know hear a story that uh, that person's just a jerk, <laughs> you know, no, it's rare. It, is, rare. it is a very caring community. And, you know, we are all, uh, we're all like, we are, you know, we're brothers and sisters to one another because we all share in one common goal and that's reaching that finish line. So I think we're all special to one another. And I think to the RDs, I think everybody in that race is someone very special and we care that you make it to the finish line. That's our ultimate goal for the, the runners. So, you know, to say you're not special, I think you were more special because I got to know you a lot longer. <laughs> yeah. No, believe me, I get, I get my money's worth out of every race. <laughs> <laughs> and it's fantastic. Uh, Cause that's what we're there for. We're there for those stories. And that's, I think that's what inspires more people. You know, like we always hear, uh, the story of, uh, you know, uh, let's, let's just take hard rock for his example. We always hear the stories of the, the, the Francois de Haine, you know, all of these podcasts are trying to get these, these big names, the, the, the Dylan Bowman, the Sabrina Stanley's, but like, I, I don't find as much inspiration in their stories, unless there's something that they've truly overcome. 
when I hear the stories of, you know, the people that are mid back of the pack, those are the stories that I want to hear. I want to hear about their perseverance. What made them persevere that hard? And, and, you know, I think that's what's great about you. And especially with Vol State, that's the story I really want to, <laughs> I want to yeah. hear because that's, that's the ultimate story of perseverance. Um, you know, it's so far as running goes, obviously. Um, yeah. But um, so, um, you know, you, you've, you've, we've talked about Fontaine Dango. You, you finished the 50K. Um, let's talk, you know, in your development, um, you've obviously done a few, I think, a 24 hour events as well, right? Like, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done you, um, I, I've done a black toe run out of, uh, out of Tennessee, um, yeah. of course, um, I've done, uh, Alabama trap trail, um, I did 12 hour. I, I really gravitate towards the time graces. I think they kind of reward, if you go into the 24 hour, it kind of rewards grit because you can move slower at the start, but kind of inch your way up. And I tend to finish mid pack in those, whereas a straight trail race, I finish back of the pack. Um, yeah, so I, I like the time races a lot. What's been the longest distance to date? Uh, well, aside from Ball State, I'm sorry. <laughs> aside from Ball State, I did 100K. Um, I went to last year the Seven Trails Festival, the opening year Jason Green's race, and um, it was a uh, thirty-six hour, basically anywhere as much as you could run up to a hundred miles. I went out there, and I think uh, I stayed on the course for a ride at twenty hours, and I finished my first hundred k. Nice. Um, that that was my longest distance race today. I also have done Tunnel Hill fifty miler, and uh, finished Tunnel Hill fifty actually. The same year that I did Fontandango, I moved up. And did, I, that first year was crazy. I, I over-raced. I think I raced like 17 times that first year. Um, <laughs> ultra sign-up owes me money. Um, <laughs> but it was it was just kind of – I had that bug, and it was just like, how far can I go? How far can I go? And I still believe that. Like, that's still my motivation. It's like, how far can I go? I just want to do it smarter and with a better training plan in place to, to help you know, grit gets you so far, but six, you know, proper training is that, that, that thing that pushes you over the top. Yeah. And we seem to have found a good balance, you know, so far as running and, um, and walking goes now your job now requires a lot of walking. Um, yeah. but, um, yeah. it seems like we found quite the balance leading you up to, to Vol State. Um, you know, obviously we kept you healthy going into Vol State, <laughs> Uh -huh. um, State was a, a totally different story, but um, we, we could talk about that. But let's talk about what was the impetus? Um, what was the backstory? Like, where did you find Ball State and why did that become your your focus? OK, so there, there's two two parts to this. The first part is uh, the, the where I found out about Ball State was I was at a race with Greg Armstrong was there running. It was a timed race. Uh, I, I basically heard about Ball State from. Uh, podcast in the past uh, where they had guests on who did it but Greg had run it and I, I kind of picked his brain about it and he looks at me halfway through it and he goes you should do it and and I was like it kind of the first time anybody who looked at me and was like you should do it and I looked I laughed he goes no you, you would make it he's like you should do it it's life-changing so I sat and talked with Greg about it the other thing is when I was, um, before I was even running, I read a book and uh, Walk Across America. I don't know, you know, uh, by Jenkins. And uh, it, it changed my life just because 
it wasn't about racing. It wasn't about running, but it was about his experience of walking across America back in, I think, the 70s. And he um, just the people he met and how he he really got to know people from the country. And I wanted a little bit about that. And the more I, I learned about Ball State, the more I knew that was as big a part of it as the race itself. And I really wanted to be a part of that. So that's where I kind of got the bug for it. Initially, I thought it was going to be, and that was two years ago, you know, last year. And initially, I thought it was probably going to be four or five years out uh, before I did it. <laughs> and I kind of just, every year, I kind of, let's say, have some cocktails and I sign up for the wait list. I wait till it's over and then I put myself on the wait list late. And thinking, you'll never get in. Well, this year I got an email. I think it was March. I think we got that email. And they said, you're, you know, we're sorry to inform you. We regret that you accepted the ball state. You know how Laz does. And um, that's when I immediately got a hold of you. Because I was looking for you to say, don't do it. And you did. <laughs> you know, I remember, I still remember that I texted you and I said, what would happen if I tried to hike 314 miles? And your response was, I don't know. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking for you to go, we're training for a hundred hunt. Don't do this. <laughs> no, you pushed me into it. So I hit accept at that point. And I will say this from the moment I hit accept, not finishing was never on the table. There was, there was two ways I wasn't going to finish that race. One was that we're going to have to call medically and, and have me pulled off the course because of the ambulance. The other, they were going to pull up in what they call the meat wagon or the van and say, you're going too slow, get in. <laughs> but I was not going to personally quit. And and that in itself is what turned into the battle that I had at Ball State. Nice. Nice. Um, now, Ball State, for, for those that don't know what Ball State is, can you just describe what the you know distance is, what is the course, et cetera? Can you just give us that background? Yeah. So uh, Ball State is a journey run. Uh, I think Laz doesn't even like to refer to it as a race. It's officially a race, but it's a journey run. Uh, it starts at Hickman Landing in Missouri. You get on a ferry, you cross the Mississippi, and you're in Kentucky. And it ends in Castle Rock, Georgia. So officially, you run through five states. It's 314 miles or 500 kilometers uh, or kilometers. So it's... It's a long run. You get up to 10 days. Um, officially, there's no real cutoff, but basically you're required to cover a 50K a day for 10 days, and that would get you in at the bare minimum. Um, so that's the bare minimum. They have what they call um, – you, you, I'm sorry. So you go through Kentucky, which is a very short run, I think 10 or 12 miles. Um, then you go into Tennessee, which the majority of the races in Tennessee. It starts in uh, northwestern Tennessee kind of goes down southeast through the whole race and then cuts east hard. Um, you end up in kind of that area in the Chattanooga, Georgia area, Alabama area. That's where Castle Rock is. So uh, through Kimball, Tennessee, and then you'll hit um, Alabama for a mile or so, and then <laughs> the Georgia. So officially you set foot in five states during this race. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. Um, how, does, um, how does directions work? So um, you get – you, you can print off, believe me, this race is not very big on giving you handouts of how to do it. You, <laughs> you are required to go on the website and pull the turn by turns off if you need them. So you, um, 
you can print. I printed all the uh, directions onto one sheet of paper and put it in my pack. Also had a, a GPX file with turn by turn that I loaded on my phone. And that's what I used the majority of the time. Um, I never had to uh, really refer to the paper directions. Um, there was only you, at the start, there's a lot of turns, but then you get into these where it's like 20 something mile stretches of the same road. It's yeah. not for anybody who wouldn't do this race because they're afraid of getting lost. Don't be. It's 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 a very easy. It, I did it first year and I was able to follow. I never once got lost. Um, there's a lot of veterans on the course who have it just for memorized. And I mean, so the first day or two, I was able to hook up with some and keep with them. But as I found myself alone, I just I just followed the directions on my uh, phone. And, and talk about um, supported versus unsupported, which Laz terms something else. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, you know, crude versus screwed. And, you know, I, I'm good because I get to talk about both of these because I started out in the screwed division, I meant self-supported. And um, as it got towards the end of the race, I had some friends who finished and they came back and asked, hey, do you want support? And they asked, and I said, yes, because the most important thing to me was the finish. So you can do it in the crew division, which means you, you've got help. You've got a crew. They can ride in a car. They can pull up ahead. The only requirements are that they not stop on the road. They have to pull off the road completely, but they can have your food ready. You can sleep in their vehicle. Uh, the, only, they, the vehicle cannot move you. So they can't drive you to a hotel or anything. So, um but they can, you can have a, you know, they can hand you water bottles every mile if that's the case. You're self-supported, you're on your own. Uh, you're supporting, uh, looking for gas station foods, gas stations to be open. Um, you're looking for Dollar Generals, which are the, the gold mines along the way. <laughs> um, and there's also Road Angels. This race has been going on so long. Uh, the one thing I will say is while they, they build this is not having eight stations, that's a little misleading in the fact that about every 10 miles there was somebody set up at their house or on the just left a cooler on the road but a lot of people they had signs said ball staters sleep on the front porch you know all staters come and rest and it was that's really what the race became to me is it, it became a journey of learning how good people really are that's awesome that's so cool um we um we talked kind of before you started um, about like mental and then framing it in a, you know, in a positive way. Um, Cause you had mentioned, you know, just based on past and how you've dealt with ultras in the past that you have to go dark sometimes. Yeah. What did you find, what'd you find in this one? So exact opposite. I'm so glad this is the first time. Um, so yeah, in the past I've kind of fed on like Iraq and, in Iraq, if you were out, you had to get back because believe me, there was nothing good about getting stuck out in the middle of the city at night, you know, so there was no choice, but there was some bad things that happened to me over there. So, so sometimes in a 50 K I would put myself there and it would just cause me to go dark, but keep me moving. Well, this race was way too big for that. If I go dark on day one, there's nine, you know, seven to nine more days of, I can't be in that mindset. What I found here was I was overwhelmed by the goodness of people. Um, for those who don't know, uh, I'm very tattooed uh, up to my face. I've got 50% of my face tattooed. Um, 
if you didn't know me, I'm, I'm probably your stereotypical biker looking guy. Uh, and I was very concerned about that because this goes through small town country, Tennessee. And I thought, well, these people may be nice, but they're not going to be nice to me or they're going to be apprehensive of me or I'm going to have trouble with the police. What I found was that when given the chance, people are just generally good. You know, there's, there's always the exception, but for the most part, people pulled over every day and gave me water or gave me food. And they didn't know about the race. They just saw a guy on the road who was probably thought I was hitchhiking. And they, they stopped and they gave me food. I had people offer me rides. I had people, um, I had people who weren't set up as road angels who yelled at me during a rainstorm to get on their porch. Um, so that took me to a very positive place I've never experienced before that my heart was just filled with the joy of like, man, if you put all our, we get so caught up in social media and everything, but just on a day to day, given the chance, these people are really good. Absolutely. I, and so I would encourage folks to, you know, find your, your social media, um, your Facebook, especially because you did a lot of Facebook lives. Um, and, you know, you can talk about those because, you know, you were I, I could tell you were in a good frame of mind by watching your Facebook lives. And what was coming out of your mouth was, you know, just positivity and the exuberance that you felt for those that you had met. Um, so if you want to just touch on, you know, what prompted you to start doing all of those? Yeah. So actually I made the conscious decision. I, I, I said the one thing I'm before the race, I said, the one thing I will not let this race break my smile. It can break a lot of things. It may break my soul. It may break my spirit, but it will not break my smile. And I said, you know, I'm a rookie. So how are these people going to remember me? And the one thing I decided on was they'll remember me as the guy who smiles. So, you know, and the one thing you learn in a race like this is pain is not an emotion. Pain is a byproduct of an emotion or a controller of emotions. But you can be in an extremely happy mood and be in a lot of pain. And I, I, I dealt with that a lot during this race. So, yeah, during this race, I just said every person I meet, I'm going to smile and I'm going to be extremely positive. If they say, how are you doing, huh? I'm going to say, I'm doing wonderful. How are you doing? You're doing great. You know, listen, we're having a wonderful, how great is this that we get to choose to put ourselves in this discomfort? We acknowledge it as discomfort, but nobody's forcing us. We're not being forced on this march. We're not being forced to go through this. We chose to put ourselves into this discomfort. And then when we get done, we get to go back home to our comfort. So we are living a wonderful life. And every person I met, and it kind of called on like, I started seeing comments like, how come he's smiling in every picture? And it's almost like he should be broke by now, but he's not. And so I kind of became that guy that I smile and, and I still do. Like at work, when I go to my job, you know, I'm a supervisor and no matter how bad the night is, I smile. You know, we, we've got to be happy. Um, that's a bare minimum. We can be happy and still deal with the, the discomforts of life or the the every once in a while, the depression, or, you know, the day, but, you know, we still can find a reason to smile. That's great. It was, it was tremendous um, just to watch your, your Facebook live videos. And, you know, I, I would check in, of course, you know, text you just kind of, you know, see how you're holding up. I uh, just wanted to make sure you're, <laughs> you're still moving and okay. I was, you know, I, I saw the reports. You can talk about what was bothering you if you'd like, because, 
you know, yeah. that, go right ahead. All right. So we started and day one was great. Day one, I put down 45 miles um, and it was, it was by design. Um, so the first 12 hours I did a 50 K or right at 30 miles. I did 30 miles and that was great. Cause that did my 24 hour total almost the second 12 hours. I hit a bunch of rain and, um, but we still, I still got 15 miles in that night. I also took a nap uh, for about, I laid down for two hours, but probably slept 30 minutes of it. Um, the second day we were uh, going along and we had stopped for lunch and uh, I felt a big pull in my shin, almost like a really bad shin splint. And I thought, well, this is, I'll work it out. I'll just keep moving. And it got worse as the day went on. And I got to a point where I had to, we were in uh, Pine City and I had to make the call to stop and um, go into a hotel. And I was separating from a group that I had hooked up with and I hated it, but I, I was limping. I mean, it was bad limping. And so I went into the hotel. I didn't make, I mean, I remember making a promise to you that I wouldn't make any decision among the race on the empty stomach or at the very low point. So I said, I'm going to go sleep for four hours. I went into the hotel, I slept for four hours, got something to eat. I woke up and I said, I'm going to make a push, but today's the day. If at the end of the day, I'm not moving, I'm going to not, I'm not going to keep going and quit on day seven. So it's either going to be quit day three or make it all the way. And so I, I moved that night and, um, it was a limp. So I would limp for two to three miles. I would get going, um, to give people an idea of my speed, 22 minutes was a fast mile. Uh, some of the miles hit 30 minute range. Um, if you go back, anybody who's driving friends with me, I've got it loaded. It's like 50 different runs, but you can look at my mileage times and they're not like what you would think, but 22 minute miles felt fast. They felt like eight, nine minute miles. Um, I just kept moving. Um, I got into a place I was right up against uh, what they call Oprah, which is the cutoff. Um, but that kind of was a blessing that broke my race down into 12 hour segments. I knew at the end of that 12 hours, I had to be ahead. And um, I, I continually, my shin continually got worse and I continuously kept moving. And um, it, it afterwards you know i'm still dealing with it a little bit but it's gotten a lot better so it's, i think it was just actually i don't think it was a uh, shin splint but more of a tendon issue gotcha yeah i mean you did you fought through that that was pretty incredible i mean pictures of you with ice bags <laughs> three or four times a day uh, yeah so my my, my routine would be is in the morning, I would ice my feet, which is extremely painful for anybody who's just stuck their feet on ice, especially after they've been pounded. Um, I would buy a bag of ice and I would stick my feet on it. I'd also stick a bag on my shin. I would have to do that for three to five times a day uh, just to keep moving. And what basically what I was doing was numbing my shin, numbing my feet so I could keep moving. The big savior for my feet was day three of uh, my friends from Nashville. That's when I three, three or four, day four, um, I decided to go crude at that point. And the reason being, I hadn't yet picked up a crew to help me, but my friends from Nashville said, we'll come down and fix your feet. And it's Becca Jones uh, and John Cox. And 
they came down, drove all the way from Nashville, uh, and they pulled over on the side of the road. They set me down, brought me Dairy Queen, <laughs> and they just worked on my feet, which God bless anybody who touches feet after that many, you know, miles. And I didn't have a lot of blisters, but I had some, and they just basically massaged my feet out, fixed what I had, brought me fresh shots, and it was a rejuvenation. And uh, my shin, though, never got better. It was, it was just basically I had to put it out of my head. But around day three, which I think is around when you hear uh, Tracy City, I, uh, it just kind of became the norm. My body accepted what I was doing. Um, day three and four, my body said, okay, it's still going to hurt, but we know we're not going to stop. And it's amazing what your body will do if you just ask it to do it. Um, so I kept, I kept putting down 22 to 26 minute miles and just kept it going. And believe me, there's nothing more painful than running slash walking that slow for 314 miles and feel every step. I would look down at my watch and it would say like, you know, I'd be on my run and it'd say like 1.6 miles. And I'd be like, okay, I've got three miles to the next, you know, stop. And I, you know, it seemed like 30 minutes went by. I'd look down and it'd say 1.8 miles. It would literally, my mind was so gone that what felt like forever and I'd go 0.2 miles. So it, it took a lot of mental stamina. And I use the word stamina. In toughness, anybody who joins that race has toughness. But stamina just took it to put up with that for that many days. Absolutely. Um, I mean, you know, and you're going this long, you know, both distance and in time. Yeah, normal gels aren't just going to cut it, man. So talk a little bit about like, you know, what did you do to sustain calories? Yeah. So the first part of the race, I was, like I said, when I was um, doing it self-supported, um, Gas station food became my friend. Now, remembering coming up on the weekends when we would do our long run hikes, I would purposely eat gas station food. I wanted to prepare my stomach. Um, the big things, for ca- it became calories over taste. Um, my favorite staples were chocolate milk, 240 calories, and you could down them quick, easy on your stomach. So when I stopped, what I would usually do is get two Gatorades and a chocolate milk. And then I would eat a candy bar of my choice. And then I would buy three payday bars because they don't melt. And I would put the payday bars, man, they're 240 calories a piece. And I would put them in my pack. Now, there was plenty of times I probably became calorie deficient on this, um, but I wasn't moving fast enough where it affected me the same way it would in a 50K. Um, I did carry a bladder for water. And I always tried to have two Gatorades in my pack. Now, the one thing to remember is my pack probably was 25 pounds total with food, water, and everything. Um, So this is not a carry a little pack. This is, you're carrying some weight. Um, What pack did you uh, use, by the way? I used a uh, Ultimate Direction uh, FKT. It's 20 liter. So, um, Really worked out well. Uh, didn't have any rubbing. Didn't have anything. Uh, my only concern was at the start, the bottom belt. You know, I'm a, I'm a big guy. I'm, I think I started the race 235 pounds, um, which is much better than the 330 I was a few years ago. Um, but I started to – the bottom belt didn't want to snap without being tight. 
I can tell you at the end of the race, I couldn't keep my shorts on. <laughs> and that's that's not like an exaggeration. I was literally had to tie something to keep my shorts up, and there were drawstrings. Awesome. So <laughs> I don't know how many calories I was burning a day. My, I was eating I, when I went. Now when I became crude, my my diet totally changed. Um, I would go two to three miles, and I would stop. And my crew was putting pizza in me, uh, <laughs> Doritos, chocolate milk. I was probably eating. Once I became crude, I was probably eating 6,000 calories a day. And um, I lost 21 pounds during the race. Wow, man. That's insane. Um, what was um, what was the best meal? What was the thing that, like, you know. Oh, easy, easy, man. Easy. Uh, Sonic. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> we, we came into, and excuse me for not remembering exact towns, but it's first time. So I came into uh, – town i don't think maybe jasper and there was a sonic open and i went and had two double bacon cheeseburgers a large tater tot a large coke and a large 44 ounce cherry lime and i ate that in like four minutes like literally i ate that meal and on the way out of town i was eating payday candy bars but it was so good you don't know like i stopped and those double bacon cheeseburgers the salty and savory and oh man i, I wanted to cry like you know how they have the quotes at the end? It's like, yeah. I was all about food. It was like, last they see, and they picked the quotes just from the conversation you had. And they were asking me, and I was like, and one of the things I said was, it's been a long time since I cried in front of strangers, but that Twinkie was good and it was deserved <laughs> tears. It, that was not a lie. I cried once when somebody gave me some Twinkies and it was so good. I sat there and tears involuntarily ran down my face. I, it was so good. <laughs> I was just like, this is so processed and so perfect. <laughs> so processed and so perfect. The two P's. <laughs> oh my God. That's, that's tremendous. <laughs> I love it. Oh my gosh. Um, I think mine in, in hard rock there was, we went into this aid station and for some reason it was just the way they did it. They crumbled the bacon into the eggs and that was, that was my moment. <laughs> like that oh, yeah. was, I had been presented it in many different ways over the course of hard rock, but just having crumbled bacon in the eggs, it just, Oh my God. Like I was like, can I have another one of those, please? <laughs> that was wonderful. That is awesome. No, that, that, that makes the biggest difference. Like I, I limped into that town and I will say like, while I was eating that meal, I didn't remember my shin and I didn't care about, the fact that I was getting ready to go into one of the, t I didn't know at the time, but I went into one of the worst hallucination nights of my trip. Uh, just awful. We, we had to climb this pass, I guess. It seemed like a pass at night, but it was, uh, it was a climb. And I started hallucinating hard. And I, I'm not used to that because I hadn't gone deep a lot. And so hallucinating on highways is a, if you point yeah, yeah yeah and were they i mean were were they abstract enough that you knew they were hallucinations or did they yes uh well yes and no so um i was climbing this pass at night and i was just tired beyond belief like i think i was doing 35 minute miles um but i had to keep moving and it was a four lane it was four lanes and a head shoulder which is good but um I was going up and there was big rocks on the side. Like as you got higher, there was big rocks. And one of the things I saw was like a missile sticking out of the top. 
yeah, of the rock. And I said, well, that's from your military. You're thinking about missiles. But the one thing that was dangerous was I kept hallucinating benches in the road. Mm, yeah. And I wanted to sit down, but I was able to go. Nobody would put a, a bench in the road. Now, one time I did sit in the road and I had to immediately go get, get up. Okay. Now, the one thing I did hallucinate and I knew it was wrong is Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum, huh? Yes, greatest hallucination ever. Um, he kept, I would see him and he was at the top of the hill and he was talking to me. And now, he now, was, now, yeah, I can't do the voice, <laughs> but he was like, he was like, you're moving slow. And I would get close to him and he'd be up. And I, he's what got me up to the top hill. But the one thing I'll say is when I got to the top, it turned into two lane windy going down. And I was like, I can't, I can't. It's dark. I'm, I'm, because every step I would take, I was doing the stumble steps mm. where you take a step and I would take two steps to the left and three yeah. steps to the right. And yeah. I was all over the road. So I did have to make the conscious decision when I got to the top of there to sit down on the side of the road and take a nap. Good, good. Yeah. Uh, mine and hard rock were like noticeably stupid, you know, like it became yeah. like a joke. You know, like I saw, like there was a like a river, and uh, I, you know, pointed with my my pacer. I said, "Hey, look, bumper cars!" <laughs> you know, like it. He knew. He knew it was like, "All right, man, just just keep moving forward." <laughs> you know, just, we knew it was. You know, we knew it was stupid, but it was comical. Like I would say what I'm seeing, you know, and I, like I knew that there's no possible way that we're you know in this rural mountains and there's bumper cars. You know, so it was it was almost comical. No, I'm just happy I finally had them. Like, I've gone this long without. I was like, I really, like right all the thing I didn't want was snakes. I was like, yeah. please don't be snakes. Please right. don't be snakes. Right. Yeah. No. And even then, you, you got tricked because it's the highway and you would see snakes, like mostly dead, but you would see them. So every piece of rubber from a tire looked like a snake. And there was, and they warned me that this would happen and it happened was you would step on one and because there's radial sticking out, it would snap up and hit you in the shin and you would think I got bit by And sure enough, they called it road snake. Yeah. It happened to me and I screamed. Yeah. Not (laughs) very tough. I mean, all of us have that fear, you know, like the trailing, you just hit a stick and you're like, Oh, I got bit. (laughs) You know, especially after your last experience, I can only imagine. Oh yeah. Well that, you know, that, Yeah, that one was, uh, I mean, for, it took a while for no stick to, to look like a snake ever again. But, you know, I, I definitely out there, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't as worried about the uh, the live, you know, the uh, animals out there as much. I mean, it was more all like marmots and those uh, pikas and stuff. So it wasn't wasn't anything too bad. But um, so um, it, it, you're uh, um, you're moving through, I think, where, where are we now in the, the race where, you know, you're, you're hallucinating? What day are we on now? Oh, the day four or five day four or five okay so yeah. hallucinations are already starting at day four and five um yeah. did you get some sleep after that i did um now the thing about sleep in ball state is if you stop you're, you're in so much pain um sleep at like eight like ain't road angel places usually that have cots or something and you would get i would lay down for two hours now that's why i would lay down for i would sleep maybe an hour um mm-hmm. If I went to a hotel, I would stop for four to five hours, and that would involve showering. I did a hotel three times. Okay. Uh, and that would involve showering, icing, and sleep for maybe three hours. Of that, I would sleep an hour and a half to two hours. 
I think during the whole nine, nine days plus, I slept five hours in nine wow. days. Oh my gosh. At oh. the end, we were, at the end, we were doing an hour, an hour, like I would do is because I was so close to cutoff that I would run for 12 plus hours and then they would put me down for an hour and then I would run for 12 plus hours and they put me down for an hour. So. Man, that's crazy. Um, and so, you know, you got your crew um, and now you've got kind of a, a sleep plan. Uh, they're feeding you. So you're, you're, you're moving. You And so yeah. how did the, how did the mileage start to break up? Cause I, you know, I imagine you can't conquer as, you know, as many big chunks at a time. How'd no. that go? So what we did was, like I said, at this point, I was within, I never fell behind cutoff. That's one thing I'm very proud of, but I never pulled way ahead other than the first day. So at this point, I was within four miles of the official cutoff. Well, that's how they do it by mileage. And uh, it was four miles ahead of cutoff. And so we just broke it down into 12-hour races. Um, I knew I had to cover X amount of miles you know, 31 miles, 16 miles every 12 hours, which sounds easy, but until you're five days into a run, it's not. Um, so they would just set me down and we would look at what's coming up. Um, at this point, we were getting close to some of, we were in the rolling part of Tennessee, getting ready to go into some of the climbs. Um, it was, it was just basically, I would break down, I would say, okay, I got to cover 16 miles before I can even think about sleeping, but we want to get some bank. So at 16 miles, they say, okay, you're good. Give me one more mile that goes in the bank. Um, within that, we were going about two to three miles per before I would stop and rest. So every two to three miles, they were pulling a chair out, giving me five minutes. Um, and they were feeding me, like I said, I'd stop and it was a piece of pizza in my mouth or a bag of Doritos or candy bar. Or, you know, it was something every three miles they were keeping me. So once I became crude, it kind of went on autopilot, the races. Um, I didn't have to think as much. I just had to run. Um, so going back next year, my goal is to finish uh, unsupported so I can have that experience. But yeah, so it was it was. You know, when it became tough was a mile 270, we came into Mount, e Mount Eagle. And Mount Eagle is in between Chattanooga and Nashville. Uh, and that was a tough climb. That was about three miles of climbing. And But that's where we also found something extremely surprising was I had climbing legs. Um, <laughs> the fastest miles I put down during the race we're on both the climbs. Nice. <laughs> yeah. They're like, all of a sudden, I was just like, I don't want to do this. There was no shoulder on Mount Eagle. Mount Eagle. So you're literally, I did it at night, but you're climbing. If a car comes at you, you've got to dump in a ditch, uh, a step down, like, or against a rock. And it's, yeah. it's not safe. So I was like, I'm just going to do this as fast as possible. Yeah. So my crew went ahead. I climbed. I got up there and I, did, I saw my crew's car, but they, I knocked on the window. They were asleep and they're like, whoa, <laughs> not expecting you for 30 minutes. I was like, oh, I can climb. So, yeah, so I, I, I did that and it was it, it was amazing. I really wish it's fun to say. It's, I wish there would have been more hills at the end. I would have finished faster. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. I think the other thing we'd probably be remiss not to talk about is the heat. This race is known for the heat. Um, yeah. Can you talk about what it was like during the days? Yeah. So I will say this year was one of the more milder years, but we had a couple days. Um, I looked down and I think real fill was like 105. Um, you know, I think it was 90 something degrees with a real fill of 105. Um, you kind of, it's, it's a, just a state of misery that's hard to describe, but you kind of you've got two choices. There's no turning on the AC. So you either just move or you just get suffocated by it and it ruins your race. I think the big thing for me was the fact that I was being positive and I never let it break through that, but I just slowed down. Um, daytime miles were extremely slow. Uh, nighttime miles where you made up ground. Uh, a lot of times I would do, uh, I'd do 15 or so miles during the day and I'd do 20 at night. Um, and that's how I stayed ahead. Um, most, for most of the days, the temperatures, if it didn't rain, were in the mid nineties you know, with a real fill of about eight to 10 degrees higher. Nighttime was 70 something to 80 degrees. Did you have any type of um, pooling with your crew? Did they do anything to help, like uh, ice bandanas or anything like that? Towards the end of the race, I did pull an ice bandana. Um, we did ice a lot um, for the most part. Now, one thing that really helped was, like I said, I carried a bladder. It was insulated. So every time we'd go by a gas station or with my crew, I would fill that with ice, even though I had a crew, and that would keep my back completely cool even though I didn't have to carry that water, I, yeah. I still did. And nice. that was a big deal. The, the, the one piece of advice I'll have, especially anybody who does journey runs or multi-day hikes or anything like that is your core temperature should be, it's, it, it's as important, if not more important than your nutrition and everything, because if you get too hot, there's no bringing it back. It, it's you're, you're done for at least four to eight hours. Right. Yeah. yeah. Not a, it's not a good thing to be, and I saw people who were overheated. Right on. Did you um, do anything to protect yourself from the sun? Because, I mean, there are stretches out there. <laughs> I did, yeah. So um, I did, I, I ordered a umbrella, a UV umbrella, actually a hiking, it's carbon fiber, you know, the whole deal. <laughs> it was, um, yeah, $38 umbrella. Um, but the umbrella helps a lot because there was, there's a few, the, the next to last day, there's a uh, stretch called the meat grinder. And it's basically 21 miles of pure open road. It, it goes into like, I'm sorry, earlier I said, it goes into Tracy City, which is right before Kimball and all that. And it's pure, there's no shade. Ugh. There's zero shade for 21 miles. I mean, there's a couple, there's no real gas stations that are really open. You come into $1 General. The Dollar General actually knows about the race and will let you sit in their break room. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but yeah, so no, I used the umbrella when I could. Um, I actually got so delirious, though. Um, I was using the umbrella, but then every time I would come into my crew, I, I wouldn't have it over me and I'd have it up. And that way, and I was like, I don't know. I, when I, I got really bad going into War Trace, Tennessee, um, funny story was, I went into War Trace and somebody called the police on me. Oh. Uh, and somebody said, there's either somebody who's drunk or delirious stumbling around downtown. Jeez. So a cop, a cop pulled up. He's like, we got a call. I was like, yeah. 
he's like, well, somebody's drunk or delirious. I said, that's me. He's like, he goes, and he knew about the race. He says, you in that, he goes, you in that walk? I said, yeah. He goes, you, you stumbling around? I said, well, you know, 200 and something pounds. I step off a curb. I said, I'm tired. He goes, yep, I can see that. And drove off. So basically the cop called me fat and left. And left me. <laughs> <laughs> but it was cool, you know, so I was very delirious at points, but in control if you, if you, you know, if you've been there before. Man, that's incredible. Um, so you get through the meat grinder and um, what does that leave you with? Um, how much to go? Uh, just about there it drops into um, like near Kimball. So from there I dropped it. I probably had 30 miles left. Wow. And how, how were the last 30 miles? Good and bad. Um, so I got in, we, we do a big drop into um, the town before Kimball and it's like a three mile drop and it's, you know, your quads are killing you. And there's once again, no shoulder. I'm talking six inches of a rumble strip is what you're working with and cars coming at you. And I did that in the daytime. So there was a lot of traffic coming at me. Uh, the one saving grace was I did it on the weekend. So I wasn't dealing with rush hour or anything, but I dealt with a lot of cars. Um, so you're kind of hugging rocks as you're going down. So what I would try to do is run. When I saw cars coming, I would hug the rock, then keep running. Basically, Laz has never saw a road he didn't think was okay to run down. So I got down there and I was really hot, really tired. Um, there was a road angel. We, we sat and talked to him for a few minutes. And then I moved on into Kimball. Now where it became good is at this point, people kind of were adopting me and, you know, kind of keeping up with me on social media. I got to Kimball and there were a lot of people at the hotel and hotel, you have 14 miles left and they were there to cheer me on. So I stopped in Kimball, went ahead and got my room from when after the race and made the final push to Sand Mountain. Um, so you, you go from Kimball, you cross the bridge at South Pittsburgh, the big blue bridge, which is kind of iconic. Um, hold on one second, Aaron. Okay. Yeah. I was like, sure, because I say y'all didn't have a roll hanger. I just have a roll hanger right there in the floor. Okay. Oh. Oh, all right, sorry. <laughs> All good. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, yeah, I had 14 miles left. I made the push there. And then at the point when you hit Sand Mountain, Sand Mountain is a uh, three-mile climb again. And uh, you've got six miles left in the race. And so you basically, uh, you do a three-mile push up the mountain. Then it's like three miles of cornfield and trail, and you're at the rock. Man. That's awesome. So, um, how far out can you see the rock? It, the last set, how far can you see from the rock or how far? Like, can you see? So, yeah. Like, so when you're approaching it from, you know, from last second, you pop out second. of the cornfield and these woods and then there they are. It's and last <laughs> does the thing where he's like one more mile to go. And then you hit another sign. No, now just one more mile. Then another <laughs> sign. No, it's just real. And what he's done is he's put the miles, the signs 0.3 miles apart. But you're so delirious and you're moving so slow, you think you've gone a mile each time. Oh, yeah. So it's just kind of one last joke and one last kind of like, I hate these people. 
and you get to the end and they, they walk you out to the rock, the rock and they take your picture and I hit it at night. So you couldn't see a lot off of it, but then they sit you down and you get to talk to Laz. So, and, and he kind of, he does this thing where he um, asks you if it hurt as bad as you thought it was going to do, you know, and then basically gets your overall feelings about the race and it kind of, you know, grant you your, your 10 minutes with him to kind of talk back and forth. And I honestly don't remember a lot of the conversation because I was so out of it, but <laughs> I remember, you know, him, him kind of being what I felt was proud of me because before the race, he asked me if I'd ever done any of his races. And I told him I'd done strolling gym, the 40 miler. And then I told him I did, I DNF'd it, did not finish. And he looked at me and goes, well, it's not looking good for you then because Strolling Gen has a 95% completion rate, and I don't see you doing well in this. And so that was kind of that push. I got to the end, I was like, you remember what you said? He was like, I got to build you up. I got to build you up. So, <laughs> you know, oh, man, that's awesome. Proud moment. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, a huge congratulations. That's amazing. I mean, you know, that you think about – what percentage of people are ever going to do that race, you know, and that's, it's incredible, you know, to have the finish and, and yeah. already be thinking about next year. Uh, like <laughs> that's awesome. I've already signed up as long as I make it in through the lottery, but if I don't, I'm sure I'll make it in through the, the wait list. I mean, it happens every <laughs> year. So no, next year, the goal is under eight days. So I wanted to start with a seven. And do it uh, screwed. Right. Yeah, and do it screwed. Uh, no, there's just no reason I should. I think without my shin acting up, I think I would have finished in the eights, like the high eight day. I would have came in under nine days. And I think with a little more fitness under me, um, I think seven days is, is definitely possible, seven days and change. That's tremendous. Uh, it's, uh, I hope some people pulled some some stuff away from this conversation because there's a lot there. You know, you, you brought a lot to the, the table on this one. That was tremendous, um, both in your attitude um, and in what you were doing and how you did it. So, um, you know, tremendous job, Hunt. That was, you know, just I was so proud of you when I saw that post. Oh, just, man. You know, yeah, no, it's, you know, it's so cool. Absolutely so cool. You, you know, your journey to this, it's, it's been brief, but, you know, you've done a tremendous amount in such a short amount of time. So cool. Um, you know, and I, I think you can give a lot of hope and inspiration to a lot of folks because, you know, your, your journey from 330, <laughs> you know, yeah. to, to now it's, you know, you're, you're doing amazing things, dude. So thank you. Thanks, man. Thanks. Yeah. Um, any final words that you want to impart to folks? Yeah. Um, basically, if you want to do something, do it. Um, you know, don't ever... I've got to say in is what if has killed a lot of great adventures. Um, don't, don't worry about it. You know, by all means train smart, um, look for that Avenue, whether it be with a coach or a training plan, I suggest a coach, but look for that consistency, put in the work, but you know, don't worry about the outcome so much as take time, live the adventure and, and push yourself to a limit. If you, if you dreamed about doing something and you have the opportunity Go ahead and roll those dots and take that chance. Well said. And where, where can people find you on social media? Yeah, so uh, uh, Big Boys Trail and Try at uh, Instagram. And uh, on Facebook, if you'd like to hit me up, it's Hunt Brumby at Facebook. Um, 
I, by all means, if I see you're a runner, I'm going to accept you. If you have any questions about uh, Ball State or any other race, I'm happy to answer for you. Yeah, you can definitely check out Hunt's uh, results on Ultra Sign Up. He's, he's done a smothering, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> if you would like to live in the 40-something percentile on Ultra Sign Up, I am your man. <laughs> oh, man. I've really enjoyed our conversation, Hunt. And then again, I'm super proud of you, dude. Tremendous hey, job. Thank you. And thank you for putting in the work with me. I, that means a lot. Oh, absolutely, man. I love you. <laughs> I love you too, man. Well, Hunt, congratulations once again. Thanks for your time and for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. Um, really cool to talk about everything. Um, and uh, just so proud of that. You know, so proud of you. So proud of that effort. Just amazing. Um, we'll, uh, the Saf family, we're going to be heading on vacation here. So uh, as this podcast comes out, we'll be heading out of town. Um, which means that, um, I'm not sure when we'll see the August newsletter. Um, I might be able to do a bit of work on it <clears throat> when we're away, um, and potentially get it out. But if you haven't subscribed to the newsletter, please go to mrrunningpains.com and, uh, you can subscribe to the newsletter there. All of my old newsletters and podcasts are archived under the connect with me page. So if you click the, um, the main menu, you'll see uh, the connect link. And under there, you'll see um, podcasts uh, and newsletters. You can go in there and click on those and see all of the old ones. Um, newsletters are really, I try to put as much information as I can into those. I do gear reviews. I do um, tips, running tips. Um, I put in videos and um, you know helpful podcasts and books. Um, also write articles about, uh, training and such. So, uh, subscribe to the podcast, um, as well as the newsletter. Um, it's, you know, it's super, super helpful. Um, and I want to thank my Patreon supporters, those that, um, support financially that helps me get this podcast out there. It also helps me get that newsletter out there and YouTube content. So, um, thank you to all of you for all of that support. Um, and also thank you for everybody to that have reached out about, um, hard rock, um, man, you know, it, it really was, I mean, <laughs> it was overwhelming, um, to hear, you know, how many people followed that journey, um, and just how many people reached out with a congratulatory remark. Uh, wow. <laughs> I really felt the love and I really felt appreciated. Um, yeah, I thank you guys. That means the world. Um, that race did mean a lot to me, obviously. And, uh, you know, to have so many of you to, uh, to share that with was quite incredible. Um, so thank you. Um, you know, for now, uh, as I said, I'm gonna try to get that newsletter out. Um, I will have a podcast coming out, uh, very recorded it with Andrew Nelson. So that will come out while I'm away on vacation. It's a pretty cool podcast with Andrew. Andrew is, uh, an up and comer watch for his results. Um, he's running Pine Creek 100 and, uh, his goal is to run sub 16 hours. Uh, and I, I have every feeling he can do it. Um, I've been coaching Andrew here and man, the, he, he is just a stellar runner. Uh, so I'm excited about that. It was actually a pretty cool podcast because we not only talked about Andrew, but we talked about some of the problems that actually came up and th some things that happen uh, while he's running. And we got into a discussion on possible uh, resolves. So, you know, something maybe you want to listen to. 
we've got into um, digestive digestive issues and such. So, um, you know, kind of a, a helpful in- interview. Uh, I appreciate Andrew and his patience because um, obviously the, the focus was on Andrew, but we did talk about a lot of things that not could only help him, but that could all help you as well. So have a listen to that. That will be episode number 77, which will come out next Thursday, which uh, will be what? Um, I guess that would be August uh the 5th, August 5th. So August 5th, that podcast will come out. Give it a listen. As always, thank you for listening. Um, if you would, subscribe, uh, leave a review. That all helps uh, others find this podcast. And um, you know, I just hope you guys are doing well. And keep running, my friends. Can't give a shit.